Welcome to Dream Makers, candid conversations with women that will change the way that you see purpose, success, and what it takes to bridge the two. I'm Neha Sampat, a three-time tech founder and CEO with a focus on companies that are places to dream big, build up, and be a good human. I'm CEO of Content Stack. Today, I'm joined by Komal Dadlani, CEO and founder of Lab4U. In 2013, Komal started Lab4U to democratize science and change the way that it's taught using smartphones. We're going to talk about how technology can expand access to education, starting and scaling an international business, and a ton more. Hi, Komal. Hi, Neha. Excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks for being on. I've just had such a fun time even before we started recording and, <laughs> and I'm excited to learn more about Lab4U. So you co-founded Lab4U and you're a biochemist. I don't think we've ever had a biochemist on this show before. So I'm really excited to learn more about that. But how did you make the leap from being a scientist to an entrepreneur? In science, there's something that's very common when one is doing research. It's like serendipity. There are serendipitous moments when you're researching, when you're running experiments, though you plan them and you have your hypothesis. But I would say that that jump happened like serendipity. I can't explain. It was not planned. And here I am, been past couple of years working in the intersection of technology, education and science. So being at the right time at the right moment, I don't know if it was the right time and moment, but being at the right time at the right moment happened to open the doors to the startup world and the tech world, which I had no idea about it, anything. Like I did not even know that the startup world existed. I was working in a lab. <laughs> it's funny that you say the right time and the right moment, because I could argue as an entrepreneur that there is no right time and right moment, or every time is the right time and the right Exactly, moment. exactly. That's why it's uh, the conundrum there, whether it's the right time or the wrong time, but it was at that time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So normally on this show, because I'm a certified sommelier, we drink wine, but today we're going to switch it up and we're going to drink some <laughs> botanical sparkling water that we found. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for accepting my non-alcohol choice. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm actually really excited to try it. I have two different flavors here. I think we shipped you rose. Rose. It was sparkling original rose. I'm excited. I've been wanting to open this for a week. I'm going to open the lavender one. And this oh, is wow. the dry botanical bubbly. And this is petal sparkling original rose. No caffeine. Thank you. I'm going to open it. Let's do it. <laughs> and there it is. I'm going to drink mine in a wine glass for posterity. <laughs> <laughs> You and the wine glass. I'm sorry, I don't have a wine glass. Do you mind if I drink it directly from the... Do you have a beaker? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have a test tube, not a beaker. If that will do, I'll get it out. <laughs> Everybody has a tool of their choice. This is way more fun than wine, I have to say. <laughs> there we go. I've got some original rose petal water in the test tube. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's actually oh, really wow. interesting. Is it good? It is really good. It's rosy. Yes. Um, mine is very it's, lavender. It's like super floral as well. Very floral. And a great thirst quencher. Yes. I'm going to add some more if you don't mind on my test tube. I'm going to look ridiculous. I think it will be very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be your guest that drinks <laughs> rose petal water on a test tube. <laughs> 
Okay, let's get back to our conversation and please do enjoy the, yeah. <laughs> the beverage no, along the way. Yeah, I've been waiting for a while having it. You know how in, in India they have this faluda yeah. that has... I was thinking about that. They use the rose syrup. They use the rose syrup. And faluda, is, they, they normally add ice cream or milk. And I've been vegan for the past six years, so I've, I've, I haven't had that rose milk. But the rose water, but this is sparkling. This is a sparkling one, so it has a different flavor to it. So thank you for the gift. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's awesome. We should put a link to Faluda into the notes for the podcast because it's such an interesting Indian specialty. And it's something that people crave, especially in the summertime. It's kind of like the Indian version of boba tea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Those black things that go into the bottom. What are they? That, that, like oh, yeah, yeah, tapioca. Yeah. Okay. So, Komal, you describe yourself as a nomad and you split your time between Mexico, Chile, and the US. I think you're in the US now. <laughs> yes, I'm in the US right now. So, you've started to call your education, the STEM education, global. So, global and local STEM education. And there's some funding issues tied to that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, pre-COVID, I would spend a lot more time on a flight uh, traveling between Chile, Mexico and the US. And, and, and during COVID, I've, I've spent more time in Chile and now I'm, I'm in the US. But when, when we refer to, to science education and solving world's biggest challenges, it's not enough to solve world's biggest challenges with good intentions. We need a real understanding of science. And when we think of, let's say, the SDG goals, the Sustainable Development Goals, you know, climate change, uh, the, the dire pandemic in which we're living in, uh, the problems we're having in, in, in climate as a general, we know that we need a real understanding of science to solve these problems. And these are not problems that are only local to a community, but it has impact in a local community. These are global issues that can be solved through local communities and local efforts. We have to think of it as global problems any problem that you see, you know, in the in the 17 SDG goals, zero hunger, energy, climate, or finding a cure for cancer, or or even fighting against a virus. Um, so, so when when we think about science education and scientific literacy, we know that having a good understanding of science will help us solve world's biggest challenges. Absolutely. And so you're referring to the United Nations SDG goals when you're talking about that. Yes. What I think is interesting, my experience talking to folks at the United Nations, and I recently did it, maybe it was a few years ago, but did a tour. And they talked a lot about how they can't accomplish a lot of what they're trying to accomplish internally. They have to work with private companies or private mm -hmm. initiatives. And I think that's where some of the, the funding challenges also come about because you have to tie something back to an issue that you can actually make an impact like you're talking mm -hmm. about locally, but it does need to tie back to kind of a greater impact goal. And it's just often really slow to make those types of impacts because of how long everything takes working through the challenges of the UN and, and the funding challenges that you face. Exactly. I mean, I don't think that global issues are going to be solved just by government or the United Nations. It's everyone's problem. I mean, community problems, citizens' problems, user problems, it's everyone's problem. So we need to join forces, public-private partnerships, so that we can have an impact in today's world. And corporations and companies have, have, a, have a role in it. 
I mean, I, I don't want to be critical to, you know, how companies work today, but if we think about impact metrics, I, I do believe as we see an income statement there and a balance sheet, you know, with liabilities and assets and everything is thought about and, you know, in unit economics, et cetera, et cetera. But if we can have a line in our income statement or balance sheet or in our reports, what are the impact metrics? How am I having a positive impact in, in society? It shouldn't be a corporate social responsibility issue. It should be a mission issue. Like missions, the missions of companies should be towards solving world's biggest challenges. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Absolutely. I love that you say that. And one of the things that I've done at Content Stack is actually built into our top company-wide goals, a level that's just called care. And it's really about the social impact things that we've taken on and every single individual in the company has mm. to roll back their efforts back to the top level goals and everybody has OKRs associated with it. And I think it's so important that you make that a part of the company's values, because if you don't, you're not aligned around the bigger picture, right? Of yeah. course, we're building software, we're selling software and we have to grow as a company and you care about the financial metrics, but it has to mean more than that. And the sense of significance has to be stronger. Absolutely. I want to hear more about smartphones. You chose smartphones as your lab instrument of choice. Can you talk about why and maybe just some of the experiments that you've done with them? Yeah. So we use smartphones as a science instrument because many don't know, but smartphones and tablets have several built-in sensors. The camera, the microphone, which you send a WhatsApp audio note or a voice note, the camera, you take a selfie, GPS, you hail a writing share app. So these, these sensors are normally used for games, navigation, but not necessarily for science education. So what we do is we leverage the built-in sensors that smartphones and tablets already have, like the accelerometer, et cetera, et cetera. And we design science experiments with these smartphone sensors. So we've taken all the built-in capabilities of smartphones and we've designed science experiments for schools, university. So in that way, we empower students and teachers to have this lab in their pockets. So cool. Is there a sweet spot in the age of students that you design these experiments for? Yes. So today we're working with several high schools especially as they are preparing to get into uh, colleges and universities. So trying to reduce the inequalities that we see in today's uh, schools, uh, where not all schools have lab equipment, these are expensive, or we n- normally need lots of tools. You know, a, a colorimeter or a spectrophotometer can cost you $1,000 or $500, depending which one you buy. But with the camera of the phone, you can calculate the concentration of a colored solution we use computer vision and we calculate concentration based on, you know, with our algorithm. So if we leverage these sensors, we can reduce the cost of science education for many schools and we target high school, uh, answering your question, so that we build the skills in these young, uh, young students for the future of the workforce. Uh, these are skills that are not learned through memorizing formulas, right? Creativity, problem solving, Scientific literacy is not learned just through formulas. We need, we need to experiment. You can't learn how to ride a bicycle reading a book. You need to live the experience of, of riding that bicycle. I love that you're leveling the playing field by doing this because really, I mean, even what I noticed in the last few trips to India, almost everybody has access to a smartphone, which was not the case years ago. And the fact that you have what you need in your hand 
to be able to learn is is really awesome. I commend everything that you're doing around that. I like, really, really admire it. You talked about your process as inquiry-based learning. And I'm curious what that is and how it's different from other types of learning. Yeah, so inquiry-based learning is a pedagogy We've educators and PhDs and uh, universities have worked uh, around it, doing research around its evidence-based pedagogy that has, we know about it for the past 50 years, but it's really hard implementing it. Uh, so what we do, um, we're inquiry, meaning asking questions, where questions are more important than learning formulas by heart. So with a methodology where we ask students to think to analyze, to measure, to conclude in this learning process, we can make sure that students have a lasting learning impact uh, around their science education as opposed to a theory. So it's, it's more active learning. I feel like what you're doing by taking that approach is unlocking curiosity and curiosity is so powerful. That's an awesome way to learn. Yeah. So how do we inspire curiosity? No, the right questions. Students, they should ask as many questions as they want. You know, that's how we work around inquiry. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you incorporate teachers and just educators in general into the process? That's a tough question because we've had different experiences in different parts of the world uh, with different, uh, you know, with different teachers. So teachers today are overburdened with so much, uh, especially during the pandemic, the working late hours, they're going above and beyond, and teachers are key in are a key actor in society, right? You never said page two hundred forty five of that textbook changed your life. It's normally a teacher that inspired you to see things differently and change your life. So our our mission is how can we help teachers do their job and do uh, how can we save teachers time and how can we help them in uh, the teaching process so that students can actually learn because teacher, teaching is not equal, equal to learning. So how can we help one of the most important actors in society, an essential worker like a teacher, do their job in the best way possible with the right resources, with the right tools? So the way we do that, uh, we have different professional development sessions. We give these teachers all the lab reports ready so they don't have to, you know, invest time uh, in preparing all these labs and, and all these uh, tools and experiments. So we incorporate them with content, ready to use content, experimental inquiry based content so that they can do their science classes with more experiments and less theory. It's incredible. What do you say is your purpose, Komal? Today, I'm on a mission to democratize science education and making it accessible to everyone, everywhere. I truly believe that talent is universal, but opportunities are not. So how can we find the next Einstein or Marie Curie that can be anywhere in the world? And today, I'm strongly working towards this mission. I've made it my life mission through lab for You, where I channelize my energy to solve a social problem in, in science education. That makes you, in my opinion, a complete dream maker. Do you consider yourself a dream maker? I would say every curious scientist is a dream maker. Every student is a dream maker. Every entrepreneur is a dream maker. Every person that has a mission and that wants to solve a problem in society and humanity is a dream maker. Everyone who, who sees something and works towards it is a dream maker. So I would say maybe yes. <laughs> 
I love what you said about talent being everywhere, but access not being everywhere. And it's something that I'm actually very passionate about too. And I think about that a lot in terms of bringing more people into the tech ecosystem, often women or people from underrepresented minorities in tech. And I think similarly, just giving access to STEM education and in a really easy way, you are changing the way that people can see themselves. And that relatability is so important in becoming an important scientist or a teacher or anything that you want to be. And that sort of access and relatability kind of work hand in hand. And I feel like you're really fueling that with, with lab for you, which is so awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, for that comment, uh, that relatability. And to add on that, especially with girls in science. So research by the Inter-American Development Bank done with lab for you it was an RCT, schools with lab for you and schools without lab for you with 4,800 students. And what this third-party research found is that students who run more than three experiments with lab for you increase their knowledge in physics, their self-perception of knowledge in physics, and their motivation to pursue a STEM-related career. And when we speak about self-perception of knowledge around science and physics, it has a direct relationship with motivation because if I believe I can do it, if I believe that I can experiment and that science is for me, I'll be more motivated to pursue it. But if I say, you know, that's not for me, that's for, you know, boys or uh, that doesn't seem to be something that I want to do because it's too difficult, then we're reducing the chances of having more girls in, in science. So in order to inspire girls in science, we, we need to make it relatable, increasing the self-perception of knowledge around physics or in science and their motivation to pursue a STEM-related career. That's amazing. And that goes right back to talking about having impact be measurable, right? And, yes. you, and you just demonstrated that, which is really cool. Okay, uh, let's switch gears to entrepreneurship. So as a fellow entrepreneur, I'd love to understand your business model. Like, How does it work for someone that had an idea like yours what took you from idea to reality? And just talk a little bit more about Lab for You and, and how the business operates. Yeah. And I'm sure as an, as an entrepreneur, we, we relate to it. It's been a long process of trying to validate the business model initially. So we've been around for a few years. And initially, we thought that only by having the smartphone sensors and launching the app, it's going to be a you know, one-day success story. But we were so wrong because... Just having the smartphone sensors was not enough. It was important to design experiments aligned to the curriculum so that schools could purchase the product. So initially, we were dead wrong. No, we tested it. We tried it. We spoke to schools. We spoke to teachers. We were able to design experiments aligned to curriculum so that teachers could use it. But then we were wrong about something else, too. Schools and districts, it, it's a complicated industry because the end user is not the decision maker and the, the one who's buying the product. So the end user is the student and, and the teacher, but the decision maker, the principal, the superintendents, the STEM directors, etc., they're not the end users. So how can you, in a B2B model for schools, understand who are all your stakeholders so that you can offer the product to the decision maker and add value to the beneficiary Oh, the end user. So, so today we, we offer our solutions to schools. It's a B2B model. Uh, SaaS offers a service to schools, schools, colleges, community colleges, uh, speaking to the decision makers there. And our beneficiaries are the teachers and the students 
for whom we want to add value, save them time, give them a different uh, experience and make science more fun. So business model, we've got one model directly to schools. And in Latin America and in some communities here in the U.S., those schools that don't necessarily have the resources, we partner with corporations. Corporations, Fortune 500 companies like Boeing, Cemex, these are some of our clients, Fortune 500 companies, that through community engagement, CSR budgets or marketing budgets, they sponsor schools and teachers so that they can have impact in their classes. So for corporations, we have one product called Branded Labs. So we're designing Boeing experiments, like aviation experiments, for the communities in Querétaro, Mexico, where they have their factories, so that those students get inspired to pursue a STEM-related career and, you know, hopefully increase the workforce in Boeing in Mexico. So that's how we partner with corporations. And so then you customize some of the experiments. We do. We customize some of the labs. These are the branded labs with industry-related experiments and content. Yeah. That's really cool. You talked about raising money in health and education tech a long game. Yeah. Why is that? What's your experience been like in raising capital? Yeah, so because we're not B2C end user kind of product where the end, you know, the end user buys and makes the decision, either parents or if you're Duolingo is an ed tech, you want to learn a language, you swipe your you know, credit card or, or you just subscribe on, on Apple uh, or Google Play. In education, these are long sales cycle, number one. We're speaking about one year 12 months to 18 months. And you need to validate the impact of what you're doing. You can't just launch something and uh, we'll test it out. And if the student does not learn, it doesn't matter. You know, who cares? Of course we care. You know, it's the student's life, right? In healthcare, you can't just launch something and, you know, you need to test it, you need to validate it, you need to do RCTs. So it is a, a long game because one, the impact is long term right? At minimum 12 months to 18 months. So as opposed to a normal B2C. So there are two aspects here, the sales cycle in the business model. And second, the validation of the impact. Makes sense. Yeah. And I can see that being challenging, but so rewarding when it finally materializes as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The impact is huge. And, and once you're working with the school, you know, you work with the school every year. So that's very motivating and inspiring for us in the community. How do you think about scaling lab for you? I know you're already working internationally, you're in multiple countries moving around, but what does that look like? What kind of challenges do you run into with that? Yeah, so scaling lab for you, we want to get to at least, you know, a million students by the next couple of years. So for us, it's, it's two-folded, right? How do we get these in, in the adoption curve of technology? Because we're changing paradigms here, this is a different way of doing experiments, right? It's, it's not buying the hardware device like a colorimeter or, or accelerometer that normally you, you purchase. These are using the smartphone sensors. So let's say Texas calculators or Cassius calculators are not longer used the same way uh, they were 10 years ago. Now you're using the smartphone calculators. Or in the music industry, you're not listening to a Walkman or to a CD player. You're listening to you know, iTunes and Spotify's and so on and so forth. So that digital transformation, it is an adoption curve, right? You have your innovators and your early, you know, early adopters. So we are in the innovators and early adopters where teachers, the innovator teachers are experimenting with their smartphones. 
So how do we get to that majority? So here, our barrier is how do we change paradigms? And I think the pandemic has speeded this adoption because before the pandemic, it's like, no, smartphones are not allowed in school. No, no smartphones in school. But now there is an important need. So we've seen things, I mean, we've grown 200% during the pandemic because as opposed to pre-pandemic, we had to convince schools to use smartphones inside the classroom or, or iPads and tablets inside the classroom to experiment. But now it's it, now that, that paradigm has shifted. And uh, as we move forward, I believe once, once we get the m- majority of communities, educational communities experimenting with smartphones and adopting technology inside the classroom, I think that's going to be the tipping point of our scale. And I think we're getting closer to that. That's interesting that that dynamic of kids being stuck at home with smartphones ended up being a tailwind for the company, which is actually really cool. I hadn't thought about how that dynamic would impact the business, which is fascinating. What do you think that entrepreneurship has taught you about yourself? So this is going to sound crazy, but for me, entrepreneurship is like a spiritual journey. I do believe that you grow as a human being if it allows you to understand your mistakes, to make mistakes, uh, to grow your relationships with people, with your customers, your users, your employees, your investors, your community, your partners. So I would say it's like a spiritual journey. The founder has to grow as quick as the company grows. So it's a lot of personal growth, a lot of spiritual mental growth. And, and if you don't ground yourself things can get messier. Uh, So for me, it's been, you know, a lot of personal and spiritual growth in this journey. I can totally relate to that. And I feel like now I've been at this for 15 years and I still feel like I learn something new every day as an entrepreneur. And if anything, I think the biggest thing that I've taken away is just this layer of resilience, you know, because you get beat up in this seat, like sometimes things go really well and those highs can carry you through all the lows, but there's definitely a lot of lows too. And it's not easy, but I always like to say if it was easy, anybody would do it. And we're, (laughs) we're not anybody we're, we're doing something very different and special, which is awesome. I wanted to kind of revisit where we originally learned about you, which was through Cartier's women's initiative. Can you talk about what that is, how people get involved in that? If there's some of our listeners that might qualify, like what do they need to know about that initiative? Yeah, no, thank you for mentioning. I think it's it's an amazing community of female entrepreneurs. I highly encourage all young, you know, all entrepreneurs, all female entrepreneurs to get into Cartier's initiative, Women Initiative Awards in their website, apply to their annual program. Cartier sponsors entrepreneurs. In my times, it was a check of $20,000 for the laureates. And now I think it's a $100,000 check. So, you know, seed stage companies that are having an impact, women founders that are running impactful businesses, I, I really encourage you to apply. It's a great community, uh, great resources for female entrepreneurs. It, it helped me and gave me financial resources and, and mentoring that I wouldn't have had. So I, I, I really encourage it. So all, you know, early stage female founders, uh, check it out. Cartier Women's Initiative Awards, a great community of female entrepreneurs and the help of a brand that wants to have an impact in female founders that many times don't have access to, you know, funding early stage. 
Thanks for sharing that. I actually didn't know that much about that initiative. Cartier is one of my customers at Content Stack. So I'm just ah, proud awesome. that that's an initiative that they drive. That's really cool. You also participated in an ed tech program that was sponsored by Zynga. Yeah. Similarly, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Zynga, for those who don't know, it's a game company. You know, some have played Word with friends and, 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 other, and other, other, other games. So Zynga, a couple of years ago, had a program with uh, New School Ventures and, and Reach Capital uh, called CoLab, where they sponsored edtech companies. Uh, it was like a product accelerator. So these were edtech companies that wanted to apply a game or wanted to learn how to build their products so that they have a good experience with their with their users, students, and, and teachers. So we applied to this program, got in, and it was a great product accelerator. I mean, I learned so much about, you know, product metrics and, you know, daily active users and weekly active users and monthly active users, like a ton of, a ton of metrics that the PMs at, at Zynga taught us through this program. It was Zynga.org. It was their community, you know, impact focus that's great. Yeah, it sounds like almost like a product management 101 kind of yeah. accelerator type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Super cool. Okay, let's talk about what's next for you and for Lab for You. Oof, you want like annual OKRs or big, hairy, audacious goals, 10 years OKRs? We'll start with a midpoint, maybe. <laughs> so we are on a mission to democratize science education. We want to get to at least 1 million students. By the next five years, today we've impacted 100,000 students. We believe that the next Einstein or Marie Curie can be anywhere. So if we can help find those mini Einsteins and mini Marie Curie so that they can have an impact in the world, uh, we'll continue doing it. So today we are looking for schools and districts that want to change how they teach and implement science programs and STEM programs or partner with corporations that want to have an impact in their communities. So that's next and working on at lab for you and for me, just continuing to have an impact in this world, you know, get those karma points on balance and continue growing as a human being and as a founder and as a scientist. You're remarkable. Thank you for sharing all of that. I learned so much and I feel like really privileged to have this conversation with you. Uh, likewise. I'm going to move into rapid fire. It's the last few questions and just answer them as quickly as you feel comfortable. I'm going to start with my favorite one, which is what's your wake up song? Yeah. So on my Google home, I've got, you know, seven in the morning. Um, it's a, a mantra meditation that wakes me up. So it's like bhajans and mantras so that I can tune in my mental frequency and my spirit soul into that. So yeah. That's my wake-up song. Beautiful way to start the day. If 19-year-old you asked you today what you should read or what you should listen to, what would you say? Um, I would say never stop learning. You know, always learn. Read as much as you can. Uh, listen to as many podcasts as you, as you can, like this one over here, and it has podcasts. So um, uh, listen and, and read as much as you can. In different moments of your entrepreneurial career, there might be different books that Neha's podcast or that other entrepreneurs can recommend, um, Hard Things of Hard Things by Horowitz, or In Pursuit of uh, Profit, Passion and Purpose by late Tony Heesh. So say like 
always be reading and listening. Absolutely. No, those are great recommendations. Can you recommend a beverage, any kind of beverage? I'm a big smoothie fan. So does that count as beverage? For sure. Yeah. Big smoothie fan. The two smoothies like for the summer, you know, spinach, uh, cucumber, ginger, mint, fresh celery. So that green juice smoothie, if you want to put a pinch of turmeric, um, might, you know, make it more powerful. That's for the summer and for the winter or after your workouts, banana, dates, pistachios, and some vegan milk, uh, like soy milk or flaxseed milk or nut milk. Those both sound delicious. Thank you for sharing. And the last question is, what should our listeners do tomorrow to help them become dream makers? Uh, if you want to have an impact in this world, you need to be well yourself first physically mentally you know spiritually strong and well so that you can look after others in your company so just looking after yourself mental health physical health exercise sleep healthy food so start by looking after yourself so you can look after your company and and those around you incredible advice Como, thank you so much for being on the show and for the incredible conversation. I had so much fun. And cheers. Lively. Cheers to you too. Thanks so much for listening to the Dream Makers podcast. You can reach out to me, Neha Sampat, on Twitter at NehaSF, that's N-E-H-A-S-F, with your comments, suggestions, your favorite wake-up song, wine, or Dream Maker Woman to know. Please also leave a review and subscribe to DreamMakers wherever you get your podcasts. In the meantime, keep dreaming big, building up, and being a good human. 